Hello, and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. If all we think church membership means is getting your name on a list or feeling obligated to tithe, then we've missed the reality and benefit of the church's covenant community. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series, The Church, with the second part of this message entitled, A Necessary Authority, which covers Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 18. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. This is a second week in the series that we're calling The Church. It's an important series. We kicked it off last week by uh, talking about the three needs that Christians have related to the church, certainly not just three, but three very important ones. One, the great need for all to have a healthy church. Number two, that each person have a high view of the church. They understand a biblical ecclesiology, as it's called in theology. The, The teaching of the church, so little discussed today, so little understood. And then thirdly, that each person has a biblical worldview and particularly as it relates to the church. So I use this definition of worldview to help us all get back on the same, the same uh, page together. A framework of ideas and beliefs from which we interpret who we are, who God is, and how we see the world in which we live. We suggested there that we have to understand that the kingdom of God has two very important kingdom, or the, the uh, worldview, I should say, a biblical worldview has two kingdoms in view at all time. Really important. We have the kingdom of God. We understand there is a kingdom. It is God's kingdom. And every one of us who are Christians, we are called citizens of that particular kingdom. And therefore, there's also the kingdom of the world. And while we are citizens there, we are ambassadors here into this world. We're called aliens, we're called strangers, we're called pilgrims. Uh, we're, we're just a distinctly different people, and our call of God is to say, you represent this kingdom, come into this kingdom, and bring great impact into this world. Bring healing, bring restoration. That's your call that God has given on all people. And to do that as Christians, we're going to find it impossible unless we've got something that is going to be for us here to protect us and to nurture us and to keep us strong so that we can do the assignment of literally bombarding the gates of Hades as it says in scripture. And so he says, you've got to have something that's going to keep you while you are here and it's called the church. We know that for many, many, many people today, the church has become a commissary more than a training ground for taking on the gates of Hades. So there's so many, many people who would say, you know, I I love my church, but you know, if honest, I'm a defecting ambassador. And what I'm really looking forward to here is I'm looking for some place that I can go and and find my primary allegiance in this world to be able to be adhered to, but at the same time, find the religion that I feel necessary to make me feel good about the other world, the kingdom that I've been called to live in. God says, no, no, don't do that. This is a kingdom that God has called us to, to be able to bring restoration and healing. Therefore, you have got to have this thing called the church. Now, individualism, we talked about last week, has become pretty much the statement of our times. 
There's nothing wrong with individualism in some respect, but it's turned into something that's been very, very challenging to our society, and particularly to the Christian community trying to live in this kingdom. It's known as that which brings too much independency in our own experiences in life, and and certainly a self-reliance that is unbiblical. So we put up two statements that kind of direct where we're going. The counterforce to such unhealthy individualism is accountable relationships. Keyword relationships. Number two, there is no true accountable relationship without a recognized authority. Keyword number two, authority. And so with that, last week, we began looking at a very difficult, challenging text. I'm not going to read the whole text, but it's in Matthew 16. We're going to be in Matthew 18 today anyway, so go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew 16. Our text is literally 13 through 19. We're going to look at only the last two verses this week and give you a quick summary of what we said last week. Verse 18 of Matthew 16 says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Key words, I will say to you, he's among all the 12 disciples. But then he turns and he says, you are Peter, because Peter is the one that's just had a verbal uh, interaction with Jesus at that time. And he says, upon this rock, keep in mind that Peter, the word for Peter is a little pebble. The word he uses here is rock, which is used to refer to himself, uh, an immovable uh, uh, type of boulder or very, very large, large rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And though I'm not going to go through all the illustration and the explanation in detail, I want to direct yourself to the three questions. If you weren't here last week, you need to know these three to be able to go where we're going today. If you were here last week, it will not hurt you to hear this again, I will assure you, all right? So number one question was this, what are the keys to the kingdom? Keys represent authority, the authority to unlock the church and say, come, you should be in the church, in covenant relationship with the church. The keys lock to say, no, you don't even profess faith in Jesus Christ. Your life is is being lived in such a way, it, it doesn't display really being a Christian at this point in your life even though you have a proclamation that you would like to say you are. But it just, it just doesn't show forth. Third, to unlock for people who are in, who begin to desert the faith while in the church, under covenant relationship, break that covenant, and need to be, for whatever reasons, immoralities or whatever need to be said, no, you, you must be outside the church. Some willing to leave at that point on their own, others to say, I want to stay here in the authority of the church. I say, no, you can't do that. You cannot do that. Next question, simply this. What does it mean to bind and to loose? To bind means to make obligatory. To loose is to make permissible. Meaning that God has said to somebody, whoever you is, he says, look, here's the deal. You have the authority to speak on my behalf as God. And whatever you say, assuming it doesn't go against my word, my written word, whatever you say is to be bound in heaven, meaning I'm going to say that is obligatory for those people of God. And whatever you say is permissible, as long as it doesn't counter the word of God, I'm going to say I'm going to put my stamp of approval on that, and thus to obey them is to obey me. 
You and I hear that and we say, no, it cannot be. How can that be? Because people are fallible. How can you believe that? Well, the church throughout its history has in majority believed it because we believe it in other areas. We believe that God has said the same about authority such as parenting. Children, obey your parents. This is the will of God. Oh, certainly not if you go against Scripture, but the, the government and others, there's so many authorities. We say, well, that's how God is to have us living the life he calls us to do. But there needs to be someone for the Christian to say, this is the authority that I have placed. I know some have to hear that and say, that is horrendous. Just hang on. Hang on. Third question is, who are the recipients of the keys? We suggested there are only three options that have ever been held that I've ever heard of. Number one is there's a pope somewhere that, in, in Rome that says, okay, this is what we say, and therefore it is, it is obedience to follow whatever I have dictated. There are others that say, no, it's, it's, the, it's individuals. We get the keys just because we're Christians. Now, at the moment we become a Christian, we receive the key, and we're our own authority, and we do as we say, whatever we bind, God says, okay. It's ridiculous. That's the majority report today, by the way. Third, the third would be, no, there are those who are apostles that he has given the keys to, the apostles. The apostles go from city to city, and they lay hands on elders, always in the plural. Laying hands refers to the giving of authority, and therefore it's the eldership of a church I'm going to suggest. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, obey your leaders, that is your spiritual leaders, submit to them, they keep watch over your souls as those who give an account. We close our time out talking about four implications. I want you to hear them very quickly. Number one was this, every believer should be declared a member of God's earthly kingdom by ordained leadership within the church. Number two, every believer should be under the spiritual authority of ordained leadership within the church. Number three, every believer should be in submission to and accountable to leadership within the church. But we had to stop there for a minute because it raises a question I just alluded to. The first is simply this. Is there anywhere other than the Bible that we can know for certain the will of God? For sure, this is the will of God. And the Christian community usually responds and says, oh, no, no, it's just the word of God. Good that we believe it is the word of God, but it goes beyond. So the word, we'd say absolutely yes, the Bible. But what about number two? What about the family? Yes, Ephesians 6. Government, Romans 13. And fourth, the church. We just read Hebrews 13. So then it leads to the last question there, and that's this. If in the will of God, so if somebody is actually in the will of God, is someone therefore for certain to be in the wisdom of God? And many say, well, of course, if you're in the will of God, that's the wisdom of God. And that's what's not true. Because God uses humans to be authority that he has established. And no human is infallible. So if we talk about the Bible, we go, yeah, absolutely, yes. You look at the other three, it'll be no, no, and no. Certainly, you can be under any of these last three and be in authority with them in your life as an authority, a God-given authority, but they may well be unwise in the choices in which they lead. And you do not, you do not say, because I don't agree with your wisdom, therefore, I don't submit 
and therefore be in the will of God. So the last and fourth final one that we had last week was every believer must be a member in good standing with the church to have access to the Lord's table and to marry another member of a church. Now with that, I want us to look at our text this week, Matthew 18, two chapters later. You're going to see in the last verse, verse 18, a repeat of the exact same wording that we've read in chapter 16, but it's prefaced different. This is how it reads, Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. If he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. Before you go there, I want to hold on 17 just a minute. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. That has been believed, and I suggest it's accurate. I've taught it all my life that the church is the eldership. It's not that you have a mass meeting, and therefore, but it's the eldership of the church. It's the authority that it's referring to. If he refuses to listen to the authority of the church, let him be to you as, very important, as a Gentile and tax gatherer. A Gentile and tax gatherer are two terms that are used to refer to someone who would be outside the faith of Christ. Now, it says that they are to be even as a Gentile. It means that they're to be treated as if they're not Christians. It does not take away a salvation because the elders rule something, maybe lack of wisdom, and they rule. It doesn't take away any salvation. Once you're a Christian, you're always a Christian, but maybe it does reveal there's never been a salvation. Maybe the sin is such heinous in such a way, there's no repentance, there's no brokenness. Okay, maybe, maybe that means that, that there never was. That's not our judgment to be able to call final judgment on. That's God's. But we should say we should treat them as a non-Christian for their sake so that we don't just confirm them in their unrighteousness or in their beliefs that are now away from the things of Jesus. So it's just simply saying, church, you need an authority. You're the authority. Here's how you do it. And so in the Old Testament, they're always required to be two, always had to be two witnesses for there to be any conviction. One person goes who's been directly affected, and they talk, then they take somebody with them, and they talk, and there's nothing, no, no change of heart or mind. I don't care what you say. I'm going to do what I'm doing, and I'm going to keep doing it, and I don't care. That's when the authority of the church comes in. And authority of the church at that point has to do its job, which we're going to talk about in just a quick minute. Verse 18 reads, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. That is in the plural, you. It's not Peter. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Now with that... I want to go to the first of two points, one I'll make this week and one next week, uh, to round out this particular teaching on the authority of the church. Number one reads like this, every believer needs the spiritual accountability of a church covenant, a church covenant. Now that means membership, but at the same time, I want to suggest to you that maybe when you hear membership, it's a word we... we relate to it's been used through history so okay you can still use it we use it but I want you to think from now on when you hear the word membership that you think of church covenant 
It is a covenant, a promise. Now with that, I know that in the 1970s, I alluded to this last week, that in the 1970s when I'm coming along as a young pastor in the church, I, I know that there was all kind of emphasis just breaking loose in the life of leadership, seminars, and all sorts of things saying, okay, hear this everybody, we've always had membership, do away with your membership. Well, there was a movement at that time that this was coming out of that had much good in it, but it had some very dangerous things. It was called the church growth movement. And it was basically saying, how do you grow a church? That was the birth of the mega churches at that time. Well, we were a young church at that time coming up, all kind of teachings about what do you do to be a, a mega church and so forth. I never, never, never bought in that the ideal is to be a mega church. I've always said, you've heard me say this here before, I don't care the size of this church. I want to make sure we're a healthy church. But there was such an enamoring, uh, just a, a consumption of this idea that if you want to be noted as a great church, you become a fast-growing church. And so the question then was, what do you do to be fast-growing? I'll tell you what you can do, do away with membership because people do not like being under authority. And they used the, kind of the idea of if you do start counting members and you start keeping membership, then what you're doing, it's all about nickels and noses. Get more people in the seats means more money in the pocketbooks of the church. And so there's all this uh, enamorment with, with church growth, only to realize that, no, that is the real emphasis on nickels and noses. You want more people in the seats? Well, please don't give them authority over them because they'll say, I don't know that I want authority. I like my independency. That's the name of the, the day today is individualism and independence. I don't want anybody in authority over me. I wish the government weren't in authority over me. Many people say, I wish the family was not in authority. I certainly don't want a church in authority. And so they said, do away with it. Though it's been the historical biblical teaching of the church through its history. I mean, forever and ever. And so that became very, very popular. With that... Two questions. They're practical. Number one, why do we make a covenant with, with Christ Church? What would be the reason? Seems unnecessary. Let me answer it with a question. Why would anybody marry someone that they truly love? I mean, why? What's the advantage of marriage? It's just a promise, it's just a covenant. I mean, that's all it is. What is the difference? Cyprian, one of the earliest church fathers that we have anything written from him, 200 AD in that time frame. This is what he says about this. He says, he cannot have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. Very important relationship there, father and mother. But so many say, oh, I won't, I won't. God is my father but I don't want the church to be my mama. I don't want that. I'm not going to put it up on the board, but I'm going to read so I can skip a few things here and there. But Chuck Colson in his book, outstanding book, The Body, referring to the body of Christ. This is what he says. Listen to this. So membership in a church particular is no more optional than membership in the church universal. Church universal referring to the eternal church. Yet membership in a confessing body is fundamental to the faithful Christian life. 
Because the saved one cannot fulfill what it means to be a Christian apart from the church, membership becomes the indispensable mark of salvation. It should be. If apart from the church particular, one cannot participate in the ordinances of the sacraments, which has historically been held by the church. I mean always, no membership in the church, no sacraments. And while I'm on that, I'll say this. Did you know in the early church, you might see even today in certain places, the table might be down here and you'll find two elders, at least two, and they stand there and they just look. And they do this through the time. It's symbolic, but it's something they probably don't even know why they're doing it. It's just been done for years and years in many, many, many churches, particularly in the early churches. But the idea was this, that when you take communion in the church, let's say a church does it weekly, 52 times. Maybe it's every other week, 26 times. Maybe it's monthly, 12. Do you know the Christians, it was just a historical practice, not a biblical practice, but uh, to make sure that the biblical truth was guarded, they would give you tokens. And as long as you're in good relationship with the church, if you wanted to take communion, you had to come, and those were elders were there to receive the token. If no token, you didn't take the table. That was what they call fencing the table, which no longer takes place in a lot of churches at all. It was the fencing of the table. So he brings up the sacrament here. And he says, if apart from the church particular, one cannot participate in the ordinances or sacraments, then one cannot claim to be a Christian and at the same time claim to be outside the church, meaning outside a covenant with the church. To do so is at the least hypocrisy, at the worst blasphemy. When someone is converted and thereby comes into the church universal, the first step of discipleship is membership in the church particular, meaning in covenant relationship. Now it raises the second and final question, it's this. What are the benefits, or what are other benefits, of being a church member? Well, let's see, maybe, um, oh, I know you get to work in the nursery. <laughs> That's what many people think. Well, what are the, I mean, tell me, what are the benefits of being a member? You know, what do you do? I know if you're, you, you shouldn't be working with the children unless you've been, you know, you're, you're a member of the church, da-da-da, and so, is that it? If so, I'm okay not to work with the, with the children. That's all right with me. That's how many people view it. But the reality is, many people do view it kind of like a marriage. Why get married? This is the common thought of many young people today. Why get married? I mean, all you do is now you risk the potential of a divorce. What you're really doing is you're risking maybe losing half of your assets in that divorce decree. Why not just not do it? Here's the real issue. It's the question, what are you really after? Are you after the highest hope for a best love relationship? Make a covenant. Do you want accountability provided by a God-given authority and the discipline that goes with that? Loving, appropriate discipline? Do you want the sacraments? Do you want to... Do you want to feed at the table of Jesus? Those are the reasons. I know this, that Colson, I think rightly, connects the behavior and lifestyle of the Christian community up against 
the lifestyle of the non-believing community and says, unfortunately, there is very, very little difference. This is how he says it. He says, maybe it's because, meaning this similarity, no distinction, maybe it's because we simply haven't taught accountability. Or maybe it's because in today's fiercely individualistic culture, people resent being told what to do. And since we don't want to scare them off, we succumb to cultural pressures. But accountability is a hollow concept unless it is enforced. There must be teeth in the church's demand for orthodoxy and righteous behavior. That's, that's what we call discipline. Then he goes on to talk about junior league or, or the rotary club. There are all these standards. If you don't meet the standards, you get put out. Compare that to the church. He says, yet, when the church imposes discipline, denying the benefits of membership to those who flout its standards, it's charged with everything short of and sometimes including fascism. But shouldn't the church have at least the same right to set its standards as the Rotary Club? We weaken the church when we fail to discipline. Discipline should be applied not only to embrace or enforce orthodoxy, but to maintain righteous behavior in the church. He closes out saying, sermons on holy living are empty exercises unless the church is willing to back them up with action. But discipline guards the purity of the church, preserves the church by re removing evil, provides a severe but loving correction for the one who is in danger of falling into perdition. Without effective discipline, there can be no accountability. Really important stuff. So let me close. Let me ask you if, if you're parents of children, and you have to, in your will, determine who will get your children in the case of both of you dying at the same time. And let's say these are young children. That's a hard, that's a hard discussion because you want to make sure that, oh my goodness, who would be the best parents for my children? Here'd be my question. Would you be wanting someone to take your children who never discipline those children and say, kids, whatever you do, it's your call. But you'll always be in our family and we will love you. We care about you, but it's your call what you do and what you don't do. We'll tell you what to do and not to do, but if you choose not to, that's your business. Or your other option is abusive discipline where they would abuse the child while they discipline. I mean true abuse. You know, if that's me, I'm gonna choose no discipline whatsoever. But with that, my heart would cringe and I would say, oh, it is, the, it is maybe not the ugliest of two very, very, very ugly options. But I thank God that there is another option. Now, that is, you can always find someone and say, we would like this family to take our children because though they're not perfect and they will make bad judgments in discipline, I know this, their discipline in whole will be loving discipline. Do you know that our scriptures tell us in Hebrews that, that our father disciplines those he loves? Why wouldn't he say, this is my bride, the church? And how am I gonna discipline in a time where I'm not with you present? in terms of 
literally walking on earth as my son Jesus did. I have to have someone who represents me that I can count on to be the best of all people who would be the most loving of all. Will there be those that come in and they abuse and they're disciplined? Oh, absolutely. No doubt that is going to happen. It will happen. But at the same time, there's your best hope of all hope of having discipline. I know this, there was a, there was a family in this church that raised their children here uh, to walk with Jesus. They became very dear friends of ours. And this is years ago. But one of their children uh, met and fell in love with a man who went to another church, very large, very noted church, and they wanted to get married because they met every criteria that I could see in evaluating them for marriage. I performed that ceremony, but he was very strong. He wanted to go there. And she said, fine, and she left her membership here, and she went there. It was very, very, very soon after their marriage that she found him to be very abusive. And so as a result of that, there was a divorce, and I get a phone call. She divorced him. I get a phone call from that father of the man, and this is what he says. He says, I would like for you to discipline this girl, my daughter-in-law. I want Perimeter Church to discipline her. And I said, well, she's not a member here. She doesn't, she doesn't attend this church. She hasn't now for quite a while. And you go to the same church that your son and she now go to, have been going to. Why don't I suggest that you as a church, and you're one of the leaders of that church, I suggest that you discipline her if you think there's sin. This was his response. He said, oh, we don't do that in our church. We're a church of grace. Let me tell you, uh, there are very, very, very few people who have ever seen me lose composure and my temper. <laughs> I came after that man. I said, don't you dare, don't you dare ever call discipline that which is anti-grace. If so, then my heavenly father is not a God of grace. Not true. We had a very dear friend in this church years ago and their daughter, their daughter fell into a, a sinful situation as a membership member of the church and so forth. And, and because of that, I, uh, they were not in a position to be married. And they came to me and said, I'd like to be married. And they were not in good standing with the church. I said, I cannot do that. And I remember being charged at that point with this. You know good and well there are people that are getting married. You've probably married some of them. And I'll tell you this for sure. They probably had things going on for them. And they got, away. They got to get married. Why can't you marry my child? And I said, you know what? I think my fault is this. Your child has babysat for us quite a bit. We love her almost like a little daughter. And I'll tell you this right now. Probably the reason is because I know her so well, I do know 
But you know what? It's because I love her so much that I would be certain to want to make sure we did the right thing for her. See, we sometimes think that discipline is anti-love. It's anti-grace. It is not. Even though it's not perfect, it is certainly not anti-love and anti-grace. So, if you find a church that you're convinced is disciplining with abuse, run. Run away from it. If you truly in your heart say, that is abusive discipline, run. But you find a church that does discipline, not abusive, not perfect, not without fault, but with an effort to be obedient and love the people of God, don't run. Don't risk losing something that will be so very beneficial. Some now, I know because of what I've taught, are going to run from this church. And I understand that. Not because we're abusive. I'm convinced not at all. I know we haven't always made the best appropriate would have been unwise choices just like any court or any, any judge or anybody who's fallible. But I know this, there's a church that has a heart that says we care for the people and we discipline for that reason. And it is a loving shepherding. It is a care for the people of God. I'd rather have loving discipline with the fruit of holiness and the confidence that we've honored God than to get agreement and applause and any growth that might accompany it. I would suggest it would be far greater reward. Next week, we're going to look at the second of those points, and it'll be this for next week. Number two, every believer needs the accountability of a faithful community. We're going to talk about what is community. And so, as I said last week, I'll close this week and next week with the same words. I want to remind you that Christianity is a covenant marriage with Jesus. Membership in a church, it is a covenant marriage with the body of Christ. Marriage to either, marriage to both, without, without submission is a true distortion of marriage. It is. But to submit to Jesus, if we want to submit to Jesus, we have to submit to his word and to his church. I know that some of us here really badly want a marriage. We want a marriage with God, and we're, we're seeking that marriage. And at the same time, we're saying, but I don't want to be in submission to his word. I don't want to follow. I don't want to give up. I just, I just don't. And I certainly don't want to be in submission to his church. Do you know what's going to bring your heart to that place? It's not going to be, I should, therefore I will. It's going to be, you see the cross of Jesus Christ. And you see that cross and you fall in love with a God who says, look, this is what I do for you. You want me. You want my church. Because that's what we're about. We're here for you. We love you. And when you see that love of God, then you go, well, of course I'd want to be submitting to him. How would I do that except through his word? How can I do that on this earth while he's in heaven except through his church? I will do it. Easy application to this particular message. I'd say everyone who says, I really believe I'm a follower of Jesus, but not a member of the church, join the church. Come to our membership class. If you think it's for nickels and noses, 
you're wrong. It's because it's for you. It's not what we can get from you. It's, it's what can we get for you. What do you need? It, it, we need accountable relationship in the body of Christ. And I'll go so, so far. And by the way, it starts December the 2nd, 1030, right here at the church, Sunday morning, December 2nd. But if you will not be a member of this church, and at the same time, you would be a member of a different church for whatever reason, then I would say to you, please go to that other church and become a member. You want to be under the authority of God's family. I know that's a hard teaching. Can I just ask for kind of a corporate response? Are we okay? All right. No need to applaud. No, no. I don't, don't, don't care to have the applause. But I, I, if you're saying yes, thank you. I'll take the applause. Absolutely, absolutely. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Our Father, I know this is a tough one. Oh, what's happened in this world for your church to, to be so different than I know you long her to be. And we pray that we might be a church that reaches back through the historical, biblical teaching and say, regardless, here we are. Let's do it. And I pray that this would be an end that many here would find a, an accountability and a covenant relationship with the church that's going to be so helpful, so, such a blessing. It's going to bring many now to the table appropriately that will bring people to a confidence to say there is someone to come to in time of need and even who has authority. And so, Father, I pray, would you bless to that end? And we ask it all for your honor and certainly, too, for our good, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing together. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.